0: Hi everyone, this is Hazel Findlay and you're listening to the 23rd episode of the Curious Climber podcast. So we're getting there with these with these podcasts. And in this episode, I speak to Paul Pritchard. Paul Pritchard is from the UK, from Bolton. Uh, now he lives in Tasmania. Some people may know him from being... know one of the first professional climbers i guess probably not getting paid much in the 80s but definitely putting up a lot of hard routes in the uk and elsewhere he's also um a mountaineer doing some pretty serious routes in the himalayas and he also wrote about his adventures and in 1997 he won the boardman tasker award and with the prize money he went on a trip around the world which took him to the totem pole, which is a sea stack in Tasmania. And that's where he hurt himself pretty badly. I'll let him explain what happened in more detail, but it did leave him with a disability. And interestingly, Paul describes this accident as the best thing that ever happened to him. So there's a lot of talk about Um, what his recovery looked like and everything he learned from that accident and from what was essentially a near-death experience. He's written other books since then about his experience, including The Totem Pole. And he's just written another book called The Mountain Path, which we talk about. It hasn't been published yet, but I just wrote the foreword for it. And the mountain path is really about the wisdom that you could gain or kind of the life learning that can be gained from spending time in the mountains or challenging yourself climbing. Um, and so there's your themes of acceptance in the mountain path. And we talk about that in this conversation. Paul's also interested in meditation, as am I. So we talk about that um and yeah just just a great conversation with someone who definitely has more wisdom than most of us and has experienced more and different things compared to the rest of us and alongside having all this wisdom Paul is just an absolute pleasure to talk to he's really funny he's um uh, very ready to laugh at himself um and just has like all round really lovely vibes, just a really nice person. So with that, I hope you enjoy this conversation and massive thanks to Paul for connecting with me on Zoom and making this all happen. Alrighty, enjoy. Well, how have you been? What's like, wait, you're in Tasmania, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've had a pretty easy run of this COVID, I think, you know. Um, there hasn't been any cases for, I don't know, the past six weeks or five weeks.
0: Right, wow.
1: So we're, we're still shut down on the borders, but we're, but, but we're kind of going back to normal now almost, apart cool. from that.
0: I guess it's pretty, there's no one on Tasmania, really, (laughs) is
1: there? No, no. Not a very big
0: population.
1: Yeah. I think we had about 10 deaths, maybe, but, you know, they were all kind of probably going to be dying soon anyway.
0: Yeah.
1: But you're out climbing again now and stuff, aren't you? So you did the quarry man the other day.
0: Yeah, yeah, out climbing, yeah, that's yeah, well, our local crag, isn't it? So we've been yeah. sort of had to go to the Slate Quarries. <laughs> so was like, okay, maybe, yeah. I'm going to do the Quarry Man at any point, I probably should do it now, Well, yeah. there's no other options. Um, did you do that one when you were busy in the quarries?
1: No, but I, I don't know if you saw the... Did you see um, Johnny Johnny's movie... Um, Storm uh, Monkey. Storm Monkey, yeah, so... Yeah. I followed him up that
0: for oh, that cool. for that
1: for that film, you know. So, oh, right, yeah. cool.
0: But was that I fun?
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Fun watching yeah. him show off. <laughs>
1: yeah. I don't think I I didn't climb into a at all. In fact, I, I seem to stay away from Johnny's Johnny's roots.
0: Why is I that?
1: <laughs> I don't know. I think I tended I tended towards kind of. More more fingery stuff rather than mm. fingery walls, a bit like John Redhead or something rather than yeah.
0: The three D B- stuff. Bendy yeah. stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Do you
1: think mo- most people listening to this do you think they'll be aware of me and, and know my story on of the of the totem pool or do you think that maybe I should tell, I should go through that again or?
0: So you could just start with that I guess yeah and just sort of I I think the thing is it's like so easy to kind of define you by the totem pole and by your accident but it's like you did so much amazing climbing and travelled all over the world before the totem pole Yeah. Um, but for some reason we're we're all more interested in your accident than (laughs) anything that came before it. Is that weird for you?
1: No it's not weird at all and I think it was a defining moment, and, and you know you've just you've just you just read my, my third book about the totem pole, so <laughs> um, which I would like to talk about.
0: Yeah.
1: If, um, especially as you're doing the the uh, the forward to it, I think that be that would be a good thing to talk about.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, would you want to give us a little bit of a backstory? Bit of a kind of a
1: bio of okay. your life. All right, well, I'll, I can do that then.
0: Cool, yeah, thanks.
1: Yeah, um, it's always hard to condense the totem pole accident down into more than more than kind of um a few minutes, so I'll have to. I don't know what I'll I'll but I'll, I'll try.
0: Okay,
1: yeah, go for it. Yeah, um. Have you got any questions that you were that you were thinking about that you that you'd like to ask me?
0: Well, just I think just sort of give people a sense of 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 who you are and what your story is. Like, you know, you 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 were sort of like a prolific climber in the eighties. Did lots of first ascents. Spent a lot of time in North Wales. I'm doing this for you now. <laughs> Um, and then and then you you went on a big trip this is, this is kind of the sense that I get from it you went on lots of expeditions all over the world ended up on the totem pole in Australia and then yeah maybe just just give tell us sort of like sort of loosely what happened you know and and sort of like what the consequences were as well
1: okay okay so we'll start there and then and see where it goes, eh? Yeah.
0: yeah.
1: All right. Oh, no, I'm drinking beer. I'm going to book.
0: Don't worry. <laughs> yeah.
1: All right. So do you do you, do you normally introduce people <laughs> first? I can't remember. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I'll uh, do a little introduction. I mean, I'm right. tempted to just put all of this in, honestly. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> unless, yeah. You,
0: unless you want me to edit out. <laughs>
1: No, no, I don't, I'm okay. I'll, I'll tell you what I do want to do though, and maybe if you're going to put this in, I mean, I just wanted to, because a, a lot of listeners might find my my style quite strange, but because of my head injury, mm. actually, I actually struggled to talk, and it took me nine months to actually, in hospital, to talk, and mm. so. So I've been learning how to talk again, kind of for the last twenty years, and and so, and with that compounded with my with my um, memory problems, means that mm. there's a, there's a lot of pauses in my in my speech, but yeah. if if they bear with me, it's such, I think I can come up with some good stuff. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. we'll be patient. <laughs> So yeah, just just start by Bidai telling us about the totem pole, I suppose.
1: All right. Well, it all started where I, I my first book, Deep Play, and and I won the Boardman Task for it, and with the award money, I spent, I got a round the world ticket for 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 me and my girlfriend Celia Bull, and and um. After, after stopping off at, at Mount Kinabalu, we, we we came to, we came to Tasmania, and we were going to try the, we were going to try the second ascent, second free ascent of the totem Pole because it was it was climbed free climbed by Stephen, and um, well, Jane and 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 Simon Mentz in in um. 1995, and we were there in 1998. I hadn't had a second free ascent, so that was at the back of my mind. But, but basically, basically, we just saw this full-page spread of, of of Simon Carter's in the in the an issue of High Magazine, and 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 it was just mind-blowing. And so, so we um. I thought I've got to do this, so so that's that was one of the things that propelled me down here. Um, it's quite unknown at the time, Tasmania in general, and and so we found ourselves at this headland. And Funnily enough, Alan Hughes had just, uh, um, this filmmaker from, from Faquen in North Wales, mm-hmm. had, had, had just um, was down there filming. Caradog Jones, who did the first first Welsh Ascent of Everest. Hmm. And and um they they'd strung a Tyrolean up across the across to the top of the totem pole from the from the mainland. So we thought that we would avail ourselves of this and, and instead of abseiling down a potentially loose headland, we would we would go across to the top and, and then abseil down from the summit and climb back up to the top so i have sailed down first all the way to the to the sea level and i'm stood on this greasy rock and um a wave a wave hit me out and um soaked me through to the to the chest and and i thought it was was going to be quite an effort to to climb the the bottom pitch in in such conditions it was before the hanging stance was there and so okay. it, so you kind of had to start at the, on this on the rock
0: right okay i didn't know that
1: so i called up to celia Come, you know come down and we and we and and we'll and and um, I'll I'll come up to the ledge and you come and we'll meet at the ledge um for those that don't know pulls two pitches isn't it and and mm-hmm. and um, uh, separated by this by this sofa-sized ledge, so Celia came down to the ledge, the halfway ledge, and, and I fixed my Juma's onto the rope. And we were cl- and I was about to climb up the rope. I took a swing around the ret, and and that's the last thing I remember. The, the 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 this rock, I didn't hear it coming. It must have been it, must, it but it fell. It fell from about twenty-five meters. And it was about the size of a laptop computer, straight into my head, and it kind of buried itself in my head, you know. <laughs> so I've got guys like 10 centimeters by two and a half centimeters wide. And, um, and
0: Did you have a helmet on?
1: No helmet, no, I would never wear a helmet, go do it, you know, climbing, yeah,
0: climbing. It wasn't the thing back then, was it? it wasn't I mean, even when I started climbing, like my dad, my dad never told me to wear a helmet. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's just weird, isn't it? It's just so weird to think now. And I don't, I don't always wear a helmet now, but usually when I'm trad climbing, I do. But do you know how different it would have been if you had been wearing a helmet? Well,
1: my brain surgeon. Not a lot of people can say my brain surgeon, but my (laughs) brain surgeon said that. he was a climber and he'd actually been to k2 okay from eastern europe he thought that if i had been wearing a helmet it might have been a glancing blow and it might and it might have broken my neck but
0: right which
1: would have been which would have probably been worse
0: wow
1: um but who knows um i think i think going back to helmets i think I think that it was on the cusp where helmets had been kind of obstructive and really heavy mm. up, to, up until the yeah. mid 90s. Even though there was lighter helmets back then, um, it it was still not not the done thing to wear a helmet whilst you yeah. we were rock climbing. Just just I mean, definitely mountaineering. Well, but anyway, back to back to the story. So I. I I was upside down, in in um, about a metre above the water. Blood pouring out of my head, and I remember Celia by me. She got me upright in slings. She put her helmet on me. She was wearing a helmet. Oh, okay. And then she went disappeared back up to the ledge, and then she hauled me thirty metres
0: up right. to the ledge.
1: And that, um and that took 3 hours
0: wow
1: i mean absolutely amazing effort you know Yeah, kind yeah.
0: Of, hero
1: yeah uh, you you must have met celia at some point i don't, I I don't
0: live... know if i have actually oh. i'm not sure
1: she, she lives in the outer hebrides you know what the, the, oh. well uh, uh, the isle of Aig anyway but then, then she made me safe on the on the ledge. That was the first time that I reco- I realised that I'd done something really dreadful to myself because she was she was trying to pull me onto the ledge. I got half my body onto the ledge, but I couldn't. I couldn't. She couldn't get the the rest of me onto the ledge. The knot had stuck, and she was she was she was shouting at me. She was going, "You're going to have to help me here if we're going to get you out of this." And then. And that's the first time that I realized that I'd done something shocking to myself and that I couldn't move my right arm and right leg at all. And and um, so I think I did like help her by just kind of pretend pretending to mantle shelf with one hand kind of <laughs> onto the ledge and, and flop onto the ledge, and then she made me safe. Then she had to, then she had to climb up. The totem pole. We still had a rope in place. Up the totem okay. pole to the top, and and across the to the gap. I know that she thought that it might have been the last. Well, she mm. definitely thought it was the last time that she's ever going to see me alive. When I um, mm. she looked down from the track as I was as I was lying on the ledge, mm. and that that's kind of story. She 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 called the rescue. I, I've i been on that ledge for 10 hours. I've been, no, since the accident. So, since since the rock fell on my head. So, uh, 10 hours later, a uh, helicopter came, but in those days it was kind of too deep in there for, for a, just a winch extraction, you know. So, right, yeah. so the helicopter had to drop Um, Neil Smith, the paramedic, off um, a kilometre from the headland. He had to run and go across the Chilean and and abseil down to me. Judging by the amount of blood on the ledge, he thought that it was just him for a simple corpse recovery. When he saw that I was still alive, he, he knew that there was no time to lose. So he abseiled down with me, clipped me to his harness and abseiled down with me down the bottom pitch. By that time a, a tinny had come in, and it was it was um the sweller got up and oh, God. and and this the tinny was moving up and down by uh, six feet or two meters uh, alongside the pole and and so Neil just had to cut the rope and we both fell into the tinny
0: Wow on, on, okay.
1: the, on, on the upsurge you know
0: right wow that's like some james bond stuff
1: oh yeah 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 blooming amazing yeah
0: wow um Um, so i don't i don't know much about head injuries but what so you're like you'd obviously got like the the block had got down to your brain right and so there's like cerebral fluids leaking out and is it is it the case that if you don't get medical attention very soon, then you know like, like what would have happened if you'd been left on the ledge another five hours or something?
1: I think I would have died in another five hours. I'd lost right. half my blood.
0: Right. Wow. So um, was blood loss, the main the main thing then, or was like something happening in the brain as well?
1: Well, I think you know if you imagine like the blow of an axe to your head, that's kind of what I. That's kind of what I to oh, <laughs> So, um, so, um, the 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 surgeon was picking shards of bone out of my out of my brain, you know, and and, and, and I mean, so the, my brain had been destroyed, like the 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 left hemisphere of it, portions of it, and so I was never going to I was never going to um be. That's smart again. You know. <laughs> 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 well,
0: you obviously, uh, you, you're still smart because you've you've written no, okay. an, another three books. But yeah. um, no. but what are uh, what are the kind of last what the lasting damages? Oh okay,
1: so, yeah, I mean the lasting things. First of all, I, might, I mean the, the most lasting things are. I'm still paralyzed with my I'm in my arm and I've got partial use of my right leg. I have word finding problems to this day. I mean it's like 21 years later but I, back then I, I in hospital I remember I couldn't get my words out at all. Mm. And then when I did start getting my words out after about 9 months you know I would call a car a fridge you know call a, uh, you know I just i i could tell what i could understand what objects were but i couldn't i couldn't um associate the right name to them right and that still goes on sometimes and I got memory problems more more short term memory problems so i can remember i can remember really trivial things from a part, from the past kind of you know mm. who who did a Pop song in the nineteen eighties mm-hmm. and stuff like that, but I but I can't actually remember. Kind of to put the bins out or stuff like
0: that, you know. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Is it good? Is it good for making excuses? You're like, oh yeah, yeah I memory.
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it really is actually. Yeah. Um,
0: <laughs>
1: um, and the other thing, the other thing that is really amazing is that I can't tell people's emotions and i can't Mm. tell faces apart right so if i know somebody really well then i can then i can distinguish them and kind of but but um is and it's getting again it's getting better and better but Mm. when it when it first happened i just couldn't tell anybody apart it was just two eyes a nose and a mouth right wow really freaky Whoa. no and no, no i can actually um I, I can tell what people look like but if they've got if they've got a vaguely similar face I'll, I'll you know some people have then i'll just get them confused
0: right yeah, yeah. it's yeah. so wacky isn't it the brain like oh, yeah. it's just I, mean, I think so much of what we know about the brain is from studying people with brain injuries isn't it because oh, yeah we don't really know what the brain does until you lose a bit of it. So I guess, did you just lose a bit of the brain that deals with facial recognition and that um, kind yeah, of thing? Yeah,
1: I must have what, what, I, I lost part of my frontal lobe, which is always disastrous, I think that's kind of frontal lobotomy, and my left parietal lobe. Right. Which, which is associated with, oh, I can't remember now, but yeah... Um, all these kind of recent or not so recent anymore, in the last ten years studies in in, in um brain plasticity, they real they've, they've realized that other areas of the brain can take over what you know the injured functions of, of, of yeah, to a certain extent, not not totally. Yeah. Right, yeah. Mm.
0: Interesting. Yeah, and, really interesting. And and so um you you know, there's like a long road to recovery, right? Um and your book, The Longest Climb, is about largely about that road to recovery, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. So the totem pole is about kind of the accident and, and and um the immediate aftermath. And the totem pole, then the the, the longest climb kind of is about yeah, my, my the journey of healing, really, up until I climb and it ends on top of Kilimanjaro.
0: Okay. Yeah. And mm. you actually reclimbed the totem pole, right? Um, is that explained in The Longest Climbs? I've not read The Longest Climb. I've read The Totem, totem pole. pole and Deep Play and oh. then your recent one, but I've not read The Longest Climb. So so that yeah. you, you reclimbed The Totem Pole and that's... that's um, You've, you've described that in your most recent book, which is not yet published. yeah. Exactly, right? yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. I I reclimbed it in, well, I didn't reclimb it, did I? Really? I climbed it or I climbed a rope up the totem pool mm-hmm. in, um, in two thousand sixteen. It's just yeah. taken me it's just taken me um four years to write the book that's so. <laughs>
0: <Yeah. laughs> okay. yeah. yeah. How is it writing actually? Do you type or do you um you use a dictation thing.
1: I type with one right, finger.
0: Yeah. Yeah. One finger, right? Yeah. yeah.
1: And but, and again, with my brain working about half speed, I think at the same speed as I type. <laughs> right, so it's kind yeah. of quite, like quite. It's quite. Deep. Yeah. You know, it's quite conducive to good to good writing. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. that's interesting yeah I remember like when I did my degree I I thought about taking one of those typing courses you know to get better to touch type so you could get better at typing and be quicker but then I realized I don't think that quick anyway so (laughs) there's no point doing it Um, so how how was that recovery then I mean you know like what, what was it like to go from being just this, like, climbing superstar? You know, you were climbing so hard for the time that you were climbing, right? And, then, and that would have been the 90s, right? You would, you would have been, like, an elite-level climber, one of the best in the world, to being someone that, at the, at the beginning, you were just, you were bedridden, right? You, how long were you in hospital for? Uh, Yeah.
1: For two years, I was, I was, I was, kind of in and out of a wheelchair and, 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 you know, learning how to walk, um, you know, it was gutting really. I mean, I remember about a year into it, I thought I would never go climbing again and, and put, put, put my, put all my climbing gear up for sale. And, you know, I had this room full of climbing gears, I'm sure like, you know, you have and a load of, and, 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 and like, all mm-hmm. professional climbers have, and and um, and you know with like kilometres of rope and 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 um and, and crampons and ice axes, like, all my expedition gears I remember, I remember weeping, bursting into tears when when um somebody came to look at my skis and ski boots, mm-hmm. my ski mountaineering boots, and you know, but but um. And I did. I sold it all. But then, but then um, a couple of years later, I realised that I I could actually I could actually partake in some pretty good stuff, pretty physical stuff, really.
0: Yeah. So what what have you um, what have you been able to get into? So you you can you did actually climb again, didn't you? You like on lead as well. Um. Yeah.
1: Yeah, so um, well I guess first of all I climbed I, I walked up Moilelio, which is this oh, yeah. like hill just
0: noticed
1: Yeah, hill in Clamp Paris. Um, and that took me two attempts and, and I and I I got up it and um, and that spurred me on and, and like within a year I climbed I climbed um Mount Kenya.
0: Wow, okay.
1: So I just really put my mind to 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 just walking. I guess I just walked everywhere. Mm-hmm. And I thought I thought well, I might not be you know, arms aren't that aren't that really um, special really. But but um but to actually have your legs is 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 is, is a is a real bonus. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I did I did, and then I did go rock climbing again and. 11 years after my accident, I, okay. I summoned up the courage to make my first post-accident lead in, in, yeah. in Ar- Arco in Italy. Yeah.
0: Yeah, you described that in your most recent book, right? Yeah. It sounded like a pretty intense experience.
1: It was. It was blooming intense. Because <laughs> these... <laughs> You know what it's like. Easy climbs—they don't—they're not half as well protected as as hard as climbs.
0: pretty
1: no. often are they?
0: And they're worse to fall on as well. <laughs>
1: yeah. So this was like eight. This was a slab with eight meters runouts between the bolts in Arco.
0: Could you not have picked one with better better <laughs> bolt protection? <laughs>
1: <laughs> the, the bloke that was filming me. David, he said that he could he, he could hear my heart beating from like four <laughs> meters away. <laughs> yeah.
0: So so you've done you've done some cool things after your accident, and you know people talk about post traumatic growth. What would you do? Like if if you could wind back the clock, would you have it another way, or do you think that what the accident has given you is is worth? is is worth all of that suffering or you know like how do you feel about it retrospectively
1: the accident is the best thing that's ever happened to me and i don't just mean that in any kind of trite way it's, i mean it's it's made me see things that I'm, i i i'm sure i wouldn't have seen maybe when i was like 80 or something i might have i might have come to some kind of realization but i feel like i've just like to, with that rock, maybe, with, yeah, I reckon I just kind of aged 50 years.
0: In terms of wisdom.
1: Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's like, I don't want to, I don't, that might sound like I'm showing off, eh? But, um, but I mean, <laughs> I ain't. <laughs> Call it wisdom. And I think that, that so that's what, and that's what that whole book that I've just written, mm. You, and you're writing a forward to, and you and you've just read. I mean, it's basically wisdom of, li- uh, of life and how to live your life that climbing can teach you, isn't it? Or, or so I guess you'd call it wisdom.
0: So for the rest of us who've who who are not so lucky <laughs> to have brain <laughs> brain injuries, <laughs> oh the irony, um, like. Can can we learn something from you, so we don't have to have a laptop-sized piece of rock hit us heads? You know, or is this stuff that's like it has to be experiential? You have to like experience certain things to to have this wisdom, and maybe, maybe as well, just sort of like maybe you could explain a little bit about some of the of yeah. that wisdom. Yeah. You know,
1: well, first of all, I realise that the wisdom that I've been lucky enough to accept is um it's not it's not just about the accident uh, it's to do with the mountains isn't it so um, in my in this um, book that you've just read it's mostly about about what I've learned from the mountains but there is a there is a a few bits there is a, a couple of chapters one on pain and one on um, one on fear and one on, on death that, that is um specifically about painful experiences.
0: Mm. Um, I, I guess, like, one thing I noticed was, I think, Leah, like you saying, that a lot of the these kind of lessons you can get from the mountains, from climbing, but I feel like a lot of people miss them. And so I wonder if it's, like, your accident was kind of like the gateway to actually oh, accepting God. those lessons, you know, like...
1: Being present enough to accept them.
0: Yeah, because I think that a lot of people live the life that you had lived um, in the mountains, and maybe they learn some, some of the things that you're talking about, but they're too, too busy trying to achieve and get to the top of things to... Really accept those lessons or really notice them? They're sort of like they're all lying there, but I wonder if you having your accident was this sort of like life jolting experience that made you go, oh, actually, what is there to learn here? Or, or yeah, gave you the presence to accept those lessons. I don't know. What do you think?
1: No, I think that's that's a very very astute thing to say, um, I think for me also it was just to slow myself down I mean like re i mean almost to a halt for years and so and and, and so contemplate the what I what the hell I was doing with my life for for a few for a good few years is um and it's probably something that very few people do is mm. to just pause and and reflect on, on what on what their life is about. Yeah. Um, yeah. And and obviously I couldn't do anything else but do that. Mm. Um well I guess I could have played Fortnite.
0: <laughs> Is that what your kids are into? <laughs> Not actually, no, but um, okay.
1: into other stuff. I can't,
0: yeah. um, so I wonder, like, I mean, what do you think you learn about happiness and about, like, what someone needs to live a meaningful life? Because I think as climbers, a lot of us think that we need, you know, we need to be doing the most adventurous stuff, or we need to be climbing the hardest we can climb, or there's a sort of like achievement element that needs to kind of be there for us to feel fulfilled. Is there yeah. anything you can yeah. sort of say about that?
1: Well, I've, I've been kind of at really, really distance from, from elite climbing for so long now that I, I, I feel a bit of a fraud saying this but I don't think that it, is, it isn't it can't be all about numbers I think that um most or a lot of serious climbers realize that actually um but I think that I don't like the word happiness and I, I prefer contentment really so I I, I I completely accepted my my situation as as a a cripple for one, for one of, for like um, all intents and purposes, and I wasn't resigned to the fact that I that I was that I was dis- disabled. I just accepted it, and that gave me the the, the um, ability to move on from it. And once I'd accepted it, I mean, truly accepted it, then I thought. That's when we can. I think that's when we can begin to live. Mm. Um, in the film that I made about about going back to the totem pole after eighteen years, I I said that we could let the future go without anticipation, and and that and because I think that when we when we anticipate something that's and it doesn't event it doesn't eventuate. That's when that's when we get discontented and so I think that acceptance is key to to everything actually
0: yeah I think I think that's a one of the biggest themes in in your latest books um is acceptance it's weird acceptance isn't it because it's like you know, whenever you like have a hard time, you're like, oh yeah, I just, I just need to accept it. But it's sort of like, you can tell yourself to accept something, but actually in your, in, inside in, in your, <laughs> in your depths, you don't, right. There, there's still this resistance. Do you think yeah. of acceptance as like, like how, how does one accept something, right? That like, They want to like you know, it's so weird. Like we don't have like a protocol for that. We don't have like a three-step plan. <laughs> no,
1: no, we don't do. We?
0: Like, but I think that I don't know, maybe this is a good time to sort of segue into meditation and stuff like that. But, but yeah. I guess like, but really, you can train your mind, can't you, to accept something in the moment? And it's, I guess, it's just about that sort of like being present which is sort of this weird, like, passive and active thing. And being sort of like, you observing what's going on, but not adding any kind of, like, aversion or craving. There's, there's nothing you want to change. It's like, that's what probably, like, acceptance really looks like, isn't it? But to do that every <laughs> moment, moment by moment by moment, like, you have to be, like, the Buddha, basically. Don't you need to be able to do that?
1: But, I mean, anybody can be the Buddha. It's not. That's not. It. But I mean, obviously, you know what, it just takes. It just takes a lot, a lot of work. More work than than we can than we can almost physically do in a lifetime. I know. But but um, you've done you've done probably more of a than I've done. And and when you're like approaching your hundredth hour of, of like sitting sitting still, I know it's like in like blocks, but. There's some agonizing there's some agony there isn't there that you've got to accept if you if you if you and so it's just mind training yeah uh, i mean not just not just because it's, <laughs> it's like it's blooming hard but but it's um but it's possible
0: yeah it's yeah, so i think it's just like. I don't know. For for people in the comfy Western world, it's so easy to when we we come across something that's difficult to just divert, right? Like you know, do something else, change something externally.
1: Exactly. Pick yeah. up your
0: phone, pick up your book. Oh, I've got heartbreak. It's okay, cause I can watch this rom com. You know, it's yeah. like that kind of thing. Um. Um. Whereas like when, when you have an experience like that accident, um, there's no diverting from that. Right. It's like, you're, you're just, you, you, there's just agony there and regret and all of those horrible emotions. And I guess if you, you can't divert, you can't just pick up a book and it goes away, you know, (laughs) like, it's there. And so I suppose like maybe that's why you yeah. you have this wisdom that the rest of us don't because the rest of us just change what we're doing and just watch a TV series or whatever, whenever we encounter something difficult. Um Yeah. And maybe that's what the Vipassana does. Like that's kind of why the Vipassana was so like a big experience for me because you don't have a phone, you don't have a book. And all you do is you sit and you're in pain. And yeah. I'm like an able-bodied person. I did have my shoulder. I had shoulder problems actually when I went into the vipassana. But yeah. I mean, you must have been in like a bad way physically. Um, I can't imagine how painful it must have been for you. Well, wow, did you read? Yeah, I read
1: it. Yeah, yeah. I read that stuff. I mean, I, I actually was like, I actually had a fit in vipassana. Yeah. <laughs> And didn't tell anybody. That's <laughs> <Yeah>. dodgy. <laughs> yeah. it's, it, I know it's dodgy.
0: So, like, I guess you. I guess I'll ask you this: like, do you think it was your accident that kind of brought you to meditation, or do you think you might have found it anyway?
1: Um, my partner Melinda had done some practitioners, and so co- some courses, and so. She kind of suggested it, and so I didn't even I didn't even entertain the idea. Yeah, and and it was the vipassana that really just blew my mind. I was just like, oh my god, is that? It's just incredible what the mind can actually do, and and, and how, how peaceful you can feel, and and it and I'd never had that kind of realization before and so mm. that was a turning point mm. it really was and so I guess everybody's just the sum of their of their experiences aren't, aren't they? and and then so it, so so the accident and the and then this vipassana and um oh you know, a, a bunch of other stuff all work together to kind of make me formulate a, uh, an argument for my, for, my, for my latest book anyway.
0: Mm. And do, do you want to talk a little bit more about about the book? Um,
1: well, it's called The Mountain Path and you're writing the foreword for it. <laughs>
0: Now that you've announced it about ten times in this podcast, it means I have to do it, isn't it?
1: Um, so there's no backing out now?
0: Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's quite the responsibility, um, you know.
1: <laughs> and um, it's divided into six six chapters or lessons that... that I've learned or one can learn from, from the mountains, I would say. Um, And, and, and what are they? I mean, it's freedom and pilgrimage and pain and fear and death and something else. And, um, kind of tie it all together with a, with a kind of, what do you call it? A, A, an actual experience of going to, of, of, Of going to the mountain, Mm -hmm. Um, and then I and then the final chapter is the totem pole again. Um, I know that you had a problem with the freedom chapter, didn't you? And and, uh, you said you said that you said that you didn't know whether it was um, it was realistic to think that you could. I don't know what you said actually. Can you? Do
0: you remember? remember? I can't remember now. Yeah, um, it was sort of like the freedom to choose, wasn't it? Um,
1: the freedom, yeah. The um, free, so the freedom from the burden of choice.
0: Um, I, yeah. no, I can't remember what my complaint was
1: now. <laughs> no. but anyway, I'm glad you complained because it's not about, for me, it wasn't about um, convincing anybody, really. It was just It was just my take on what on, and so I wanted to I wanted to um, create a discussion you know so not mm. I didn't want to convince anybody really, but that freedom the freedom thing was, was basically about by following a crack or a ridge, day or, or a sequence of holds, day in day out like that you, like you do as a climber. There's only one sequence of holds or one crack, and and um,
0: there's a freedom in the lack of choice, kind of thing.
1: And so there is a, f- and so even though you even though you've got an incredibly constrained um, lifestyle, you you're um, you feel free, and and that's a that's a paradox. You know, the modern world is just full and full of choices. Uh, it's bonkers, really.
0: Yeah. I actually just found the email. um, So I was just like, I'm not sure I agree that having no choice entails freedom. The human mind can want things to be different even when it knows it can't be. So yeah, I guess it's just pointing to the fact it's a paradox, isn't it? It's like, um, I guess it's like, it can be more freeing to have less choice. But not everyone. It's not always freeing, I suppose is the point. No. And again, it probably comes back to acceptance, isn't it? It's like you can you can be on a route and you don't have many options and you can still really want it to be different. You can still be always be wishing for an extra hold. You can always like you know what I mean? Like I always like I, I know I'm climbing well when I don't go, oh, I wish this hold was bigger or I wish there was another hold here or something, right? It's like it, it, being in flow is like having things, sort of accepting things as they are, working with things as they are, um, instead of like thinking that you want something to be different. There's like no resistance, I suppose, is there. It's like you're just completely connected to what you're doing.
1: Yeah. I guess that's it, isn't it? It's when it's going well.
0: Yeah. 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 And then some. sometimes you just like, you just, you just want everything to be different. And it's just sort of like, I guess, you know, what you might say that you could learn from a vipassana or from some of the experiences you've had is this idea that, like, true contentedness or contentment is when you don't want anything to be different. Exactly. Um, yeah. And it's, yeah. uh, it's, like, pretty amazing that you could have gone through all the experiences you've been through and have so much kind of taken away from you and yet you don't want it, it things to be different
1: and to to want things to be different which obviously can't be different is is um i mean that would just that would just be a, an exercise in futility wouldn't it and it would be just and i know that people do often go down exercise you know down that route of, mm. of um, exercise in futility don't they but,
0: but I mean there must have been times in your recovery where you just wished over and over again that it hadn't happened
1: wow well, maybe in the last it maybe in the first two years but not for the last not for the last 20 years
0: yeah that's impressive
1: I, no I just I've just accepted it completely and and I think you'd be surprised at how many people do do that, actually.
0: Yeah. Maybe. And so do you feel like you accept things sort of on reflection or do you feel like this acceptance is a a daily thing? Like to say when you're taking the bins out and you just can't do up the bin thing or whatever because you've only got one arm or, you know... like yeah. do you get frustrated still and in that moment there's a little bit of a lack of acceptance like or or are you just like super zen with it where you just don't really get frustrated or like what does that look like day to day
1: most most of the time i'm i'm, I'm pretty zen but
0: no occasionally
1: occasionally i will I mean, i've been trying to put a i've been trying to put a light bulb into a, into a into a, a fitting for three days. Right? <laughs> but it's, it's one of these fittings, it's on a wire. So can you imagine putting a, uh,
0: putting yeah. a light
1: bulb into a fitting that is on, that is dangling on a wire and, and you just can't, I, I've just not worked out how to do it. <laughs> but uh, I think it, what what that does, it makes you really... Uh, oh, what's the word? I have these word finding problems. Um, when you, when you've got to think of other ways around.
0: Mm, I like think outside uh, the box or something.
1: Yeah. So so innovative. So right. so most of the time I can innovate and 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 overcome my these problems, but I've, mm. I've yet to work this one out.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Yeah and you, do you do you ask for help like have you got better at asking for help?
1: I'm not too proud to ask for help at all. So um, I used to be when I was, when I was you know 20 25 years ago I would I would never ask for help. Well now I I ask for help all the time. And in mm-hmm. fact all these expeditions that I've been on um, to to mountains or to or cycling expeditions They've always been team effort and i I've I've, I've I've had to rely on all sorts you know all all sorts of people for help and mm. and that's actually a really nice thing to to be able to do to have somebody help you mm.
0: yeah yeah sort of have to be a bit you have some humility and like exactly, and yeah. let, you, let your ego go a bit, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's sort of like a fine line, though, is isn't it? Because sometimes you do just like want to be able to do something yourself, but I don't. I don't know if that always comes from a bad place, because
1: because
0: no. at some point you also just want the challenge, don't you?
1: And don't get me wrong, I, I I love a challenge, and so I and so I do like to work things out for myself. You might have all your all your limbs working, but but um. I think we're both similar in that respect, aren't we? we, we you, you'd like to do things for yourself as well.
0: <laughs> yeah, it depends what it is. It's funny, like, like, when it comes to DIY or something, I just totally, like, fulfil this, like, gender um, stereotype of just being totally shit and just asking my boyfriend to do it. And then I'm just like, how can you be this, like, supposed, like, Strong feminist person who like wants to, to be able to do everything, and then it's just like, oh, can you hang up a picture for me? <laughs> it's <laughs> terrible. Like, where does that come from? Yeah, I don't know. And well, you, know, you know, like, you've gone from being an able person to a disabled person. What do you think of this term, disability? You might have heard me and Anushi t- talk about it on that podcast that I did with her, but and like, have you you've sort of some of the missions you've done you've raised money for disability charities and things haven't you like how well connected are you to like the disability world and like the politics of disability and all that
1: oh in, in Tasmania I'm 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 totally connected you know I, I I do this thing called Project Able which is kind of by the um, Australian government and you go around schools kind of um, Talking about disability, you know, so, so I am I, I am well up on my um, on on my disability um, politics definitely. But um, were you saying were you were you just about to say that that um what do you think of the term disabled as opposed to person with a disability? So what are you Yeah,
0: well, yeah, I suppose. Yeah, that would be a good question to ask you or or um there's also this term differently abled as well, isn't there? Oh yeah. Uh, do you sort of, you know, how do you feel about that terminology?
1: I actually really embrace the term disabled and I think that it's part of my disability and me, they're inseparable and I and there is this um movement at the moment to bring the term disability or, or disabled back into the public okay. sphere so so we're not people with a disability we're not separate from our disability we are right. actually disabled but right. um not everybody likes that and so it's a bit controversial but i i am not separate from my disability, so I'm a disabled person. That's what I'd yeah.
0: like to. Yeah. Okay. Right. Yeah. 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 It's interesting that because then you might you might someone might say I suppose um, I'm a person with a disability because um, the disability doesn't define me. Yeah. Um, so I wonder if it's just like yeah. lots of people have different relationships with.
1: I think so. Don't.
0: Um, yeah. But it's it's hard as well because you don't want to confuse that with being unable, either, right? Because you're not you're very able. Yeah. Um, so it's it's a but tricky one, isn't it?
1: It is. But to be honest, as long as your intentions are good, I mean, I actually don't have a problem with people calling me. You know, they can call me what they want. Kind of, it, it's um, as long as you, as long as long as your intentions are good, I don't yeah. know. That's what I think, and I've not listened to the podcast you did with Trevor yet, but I, but I um, I reckon I'm looking forward to that because I thought that there might be some kind of um, racial politics in there. I'm yeah. Not sure.
0: Yeah, we do talk about intentions. It's sort of the fashion now to say that intentions don't matter, which I find really weird. Um, of course, you can offend someone by accident, but like when you, I don't know, I studied moral philosophy for like five years, right? And it's like in, intentions matter from a moral perspective because it's like if you're bad, in, if you've got bad intentions, that says something about your character. Whereas if you yeah. did something without knowing, It just says that you're ignorant of a certain thing, right? Which isn't your fault, because we're all just a sum of our experiences. Exactly, Um, And so, like, from a moral perspective, like, intentions are the only thing that matter, actually, because they're what we need to know to to know whether someone's the kind of person that we want to have in our community, right? It's sort of like, there's this analogy, like, if you accidentally bump into someone... Then, even if you caused harm, it wasn't like an immoral thing to do because it was just an accident. Whereas, if you go around purposefully pushing people over, then that's worrying. Um, Even if there's like less consequences, it's worrying because you're the kind of person who wants to cause harm. Yeah. And so we like should care about that. And so it it is interesting to me. And we, me and Trev did did touch on it a bit. And he, I think he sort of thinks somewhat like you that um intentions do matter but then obviously when it comes to sort of disability and racism like I suppose we should be talking a way where there's like this personal responsibility to kind of educate yourself on the issues or do you you think people that are not in the disability world are educated enough on disability or do you feel like there needs we need to be talking more about disability and do do you feel like the, the abled able-bodied population cares enough about people with disability?
1: Wow, I mean, disabled people, people with disability, they are the most discriminated against sector cohort of society, hands down. Nowhere else can they can a person get. Get um not in this day and age. Get um forcibly sterilised and and I know there's racial violence and um and violence against against um women, and, but there's also a hell of a lot of violence against against disabled people as well, and it's just shocking. Even even I I've been beaten up twice. Wow. Since since, since getting just because I got a limb, really? Yeah.
0: Oh god, it makes you feel so sad about the world, doesn't it? <laughs> I know.
1: Wow. But anyway, probably best not to, not to go there. I thought that I would like to read you a little paragraph from the introduction to my book. It just um, about climbing being for the challenge. Because a lot of people think, well, of course, it's for the challenge. Well, 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 that's just a trite comment. But this challenge has questioning at its heart. And this questioning is fundamental if we wish to live our lives to the utmost. This challenging ourselves and questioning, if we do it often enough, pushes us to be our best to do our best, to strive to be more comfortable with the inevitable fears, to be more trusting and more able to be dedicated. It enables us to put painful events such as illness, grief and loss into perspective. And dare I say it, live a more harmonious life. That's just going back to the mountain path and the book. But um, quite a lot of people kind of question what cl- what climbing's worth, don't they? And mm. I think, and, and you know, are you just wasting your life, or or or, or um,
0: being selfish? I suppose is a complaint, being isn't selfish,
1: it? Selfish. Yeah. That's kind of that's that's really the the ideas that I that I want to put forward in in, in my book in a nutshell, really.
0: I guess it's the more I don't really like the word spiritual, but it sort of is really, isn't it? It's like you're talking about how climbing can kind of be this spiritual endeavor. As in it kind of it it betters you as a person in a way that other things can't do? Yeah,
1: I mean I do like the word spiritual. I think it I mean I think that um spiritual is is dead right to oh no I'm starting to flag
0: don't worry we can finish up soon but I think this is actually a really nice place to end I, I, I like I've got problems with the term spiritual because um just because I think it's used in a, in a strange way by people and in a way where it's like makes people very skeptical but um I think you're using it in a very nice way in in a way that should be used I, I feel like with your book like there's so many books isn't there by by alpinists and adventurers and tough rock climbers and they I do think that there is this gap in kind of looking at the deeper experiences that are available to, to us as climbers and kind of the the lessons in spirituality that are available to people who challenge yeah, just, themselves yeah. in that way you know yeah, I'm using your word, but um, and I think that's what your book's all about, isn't it? And I think there's there are very few books that do that. I'm not, I'm not actually super well versed in um, mountaineering literature, actually, but I, I don't know of many uh, that that broach this topic in the way that you you have. Would you say no, that's a fair assessment? I would.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that in the past there's because it. I also talk about the, the natural world and um, quite a lot I think and and so with, with the natural world there's been a lot of people have have written at length about it like the, the Wordsworth and Thoreau and and, and Coleridge and um, even Blake and they they um the all the romantics, they've they've written heaps about the seeing God in the natural world, I guess, and and, mm. and um, I think that if you if you if you think of God in a kind of you know a, in a abstract kind of form as in, you know kind of reality the, um, <laughs> or truth, then then um, truth of the universe, then that then 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 um, the those guys hit the nail on the head.
0: Mm. Mm. Yeah, but they—they, they, they, I guess they don't talk about the sort of the more intense states of consciousness that you access by doing something that's maybe perilous or or super challenging. Um, so I, I feel like you've yeah. you've done that. That's different.
1: Mm. Maybe. Mm. Coleridge Courage, wrote about it in, when, um, when I wrote about Coleridge you remember in the, in the Freedom chapter so yeah. I, that was quite that was quite an amazing piece of writing that um, that Coleridge wrote in the, in the, the Scarfell letter it's called mm,
0: yeah I love the story um, with you and your mum um, oh yeah that's a great story that's right at the start of the book right
1: yeah,
0: yeah, I like that part. That was that was
1: great. Um, yeah, she, well, she still is. She's she's superb, my mum. Yeah,
0: great. Uh, what do you think? Do you want to? Should we finish up there? Is there anything else you want to say to the listeners?
1: Um, I don't think so. But it's been absolutely marvellous chatting to you, and, and and really fantastic to see you again, and and. Uh, I know that, I know that our listeners can't see us, but
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah. It has been great chatting to you, and I feel like uh, I'm in a better position to write your forward now, <laughs> having, oh, having chatted to yeah. you in been a bit more depth. Yeah. Um. When do you think you'll finish the book?
1: It's being published next year. It was going to be this year, but um, with this COVID thing, it's it's. Been pushed back now to next year um, by vertebrates.
0: Okay. Yeah.
1: And it will be about. Well, God, I I'm, I'm actually hoping that it'll be available for Christmas sales, but maybe okay. not. Okay.
0: Yeah.
1: Okay. Soon. Not, Soon. I haven't talked to to, to John at the, my publisher for for a few weeks, so I'm I'm not sure.
0: Okay.
1: I prefer to just let it go. Well, it is what it is.
0: I, I definitely recommend it. It's a great book. Um, so, hopefully, you can publish it at some point soon.
1: Well, I'm looking forward to reading your forward.
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> get writing it. All right. Well, thanks so much, Paul. It's been great chatting to you.
1: All right. See you.
0: If you enjoyed this podcast, please free, feel free to donate. You can visit hazel findlaycom and go to podcast and then you can click donate. The money just goes to Alex Dempsey who kindly has been editing the audio of these podcasts for free. So, well, just the donations go towards him, but other than that, it's, it's work, it's free labor from him. So we're really thankful for his work, but it would be a lot nicer if we could pay him. So if you feel like donating, then that would be great. We've had offers to sponsor this podcast, but we are keen to keep it free of advertisement for your listening enjoyment, and also so that we can be free to talk about whatever we want and not be directed by sponsors. So if you like the kind of content that is free from advertisement and free from the push and pulls of what sponsors might want us to talk about, then please donate, and then we can keep this work going. So hazel-finley.com podcast, donate. Thanks so much.